The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus came down with the twelve and stood on a stretch of level ground with a great crowd of his disciples and a large number of the people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. And raising his eyes towards his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are now hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who are now weeping, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude and insult you and denounce your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy on that day. Behold, your reward will be great in heaven. For their ancestors treated the prophets in the same way. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are filled now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will grieve and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for their ancestors treated the false prophets in this way. The Gospel of the Lord. Twenty eighteen was not a good year for the church, and twenty nineteen doesn't look like it's getting much better. Say in some ways that we're experiencing certainly a crisis in the church today. Crisis in multiple different ways. Of course, most recently in twenty eighteen, we had more revelations of sex abuse, but that sex abuse scandal happened, you know, in the nineteen nineties, two thousand and two, two thousand and eighteen. But this time it was a little bit different. There's a greater revelation of just the mismanagement from bishops before and different times. Praise God for 2002, that in 2002 a Dallas Charter for the Protection of Youth was instituted and that really the sex abuse in the church has pretty much uh, evaporated since 2002. But it still doesn't mean that our culture is still uh, right. We one of the revelations of 2018 was that it wasn't just priests, it was also bishops, and would go even so far as to implicate cardinals. Most especially, most recently, Cardinal McCarrick, who was the Archbishop of Washington, D.C. How did he become the Cardinal of Washington, D.C., yet with, with all those problems? Well, praise God that, you know, that it was able to come to light, and, and just uh, Friday or Saturday, Cardinal McCarrick was laicized, so he was removed from the priesthood, finally. But of course, it's not just, we realize, just one person. But there's accusations of mismanagement in multiple different places of the world. And the mismanagement, you know, accusations even go up to the Pope. And so we're experiencing a great difficulty and crisis in the hierarchy of the church, certainly. But it's not just in the hierarchy either, right? We look around at most parishes in the United States, an overwhelming majority are dying. Our Lady of Lourdes here is one of the surprising, you know, kind of rural churches that's, that's doing all right. And say we're doing great for the area, but, but it's still not 
what we could be. And there are many churches around us that are dying. That, you know, it's all people over the age of 60. And that's throughout the entire church. It's also hard to find priests. We look at our diocese, and within 10 years, we will lose half of our priests in this diocese because they'll be old enough to retire. Half of the priests. We only have three that are in seminary right now. It's going to be some serious changes, right? There's a crisis coming where what it was in the past is not what it will be in the future. Just from that perspective. But also there's, there's many other you know, indicators that are happening in the church, right? The most Catholics, that a lot of Catholics, reject church teaching on many basic things, right? That they don't believe in the Eucharist. That they don't believe in heaven and, or hell or sin or confession. They don't, they don't believe in morality of abortion. And there are many Catholic politicians who support abortion in direct contradiction to the churching of the t- teachings of the church. And there are even, in some cases, some priests who also dissent and cause great division throughout the church. We also have the normal human condition where we argue amongst ourselves, right? Among other parishes, but even amongst ourselves at times where we argue and pull this community apart. And we're in a crisis in the church. And certainly it doesn't seem like 2019 is going to all of a sudden make everything better. And I don't think we always realize what it is because a lot of the times we can just go along and seem like as if everything is the same as it was. There was a a priest out in Washington, D.C. who uh, tweets. I don't tweet, nor did I see it on Twitter, but I saw his tweet uh, on on an article. And I thought, I kind of related to it. He says, Working for the Catholic Church in America in 2019 feels something like working for blockbuster movies in 2005. We're still arguing about how we should display the DVDs. Meanwhile, our current model and customer base is about to collapse. And so, of course, the question is, well, why is it about to collapse? You know? Is it the DVD stands, the aesthetics? Is it, is it because of church teaching that it's too difficult? Is it because Mass isn't exciting enough? Why are we experiencing this crisis? Are, are the teachings too difficult? I would say the crisis in the church today, although many people have blamed different church teaching and other things, it's, it's not because of church teaching. We even look at the sexual abuse scandal. Sexual abuse scandal isn't because of priestly celibacy. The problem is, is because priests did not live out their celibacy. The same reason why the church is in a crisis today. It's not because the gospel is too difficult. It's because we haven't lived according to the teachings of the church. We haven't lived according to the gospel. We've pursued other means of success. Other things in our life and in our church than what the gospel actually calls us to. But we can point our finger at other people, right? And we're very good at that, and the culture as a whole is very good at that. But as Christians, we always want to look at ourselves first. 
To look at that log that's in our eye, right? Not the speck in the other. And so I've been reading a book by Archbishop Chaput of Philadelphia, Strangers in a Strange Land, and one of the things that he kind of points out is he says the real problem, the much more stubborn problem, the real problem with the world is us. It's with us. In what kind of way? Well, he's part of the baby boomer generation. He kind of blames the baby boomer generation in some ways for the crisis that we're in. But so he's addressing himself and the, and the, the generation that's kind of asking, why is this happening? Why is there a crisis? Why aren't people following the faith? And he writes, quote, The reason the Christian faith doesn't matter to so many of our young people is that too often it didn't really matter to us. Not enough to shape our lives. Not enough for us to suffer for it. Instead, the church has pursued an appetite for comfort and security that has replaced conviction. We've pursued at times in our life, in our Christian life, in the Catholic Church, what I'd call cheap grace. But cheap grace isn't really grace at all. Cheap grace is not grace. The grace always comes through the cross, through sacrifice, through the gospel of Jesus Christ who willingly laid down his life out of love for us. And that's not cheap grace. That isn't cheap and just something that can be washed away or just ignored. And so in what way specifically is our church in the United States specifically, kind of forgotten the gospel. Well, I think our gospel today really illustrates this. When we read it, we've heard this before. We're like, oh yeah, blessed and woe and woes. You know, Jesus sometimes uses woe, but we never really understand it because isn't Jesus supposed to be nice and say nice things to everybody? Why does he say woe? You know, like why is he being mean? He's warning us, right? And yet, I don't think we really understand what this warning is. He says, Blessed are you who are poor. But we don't like poverty, right? Poverty is a bad thing, right? We have a war on poverty. But yet, blessed are you who are poor, right? In many different ways. Poor in spirit. Materially poor. You know, friend poor. You know, just the fact that we can't get everything but blessed are you who are poor. Jesus is telling us that's blessed. Right? And we think of heaven, the blessedness of that. And what does he say in contradiction? He says, woe to you who are rich. Wait, but I thought we want to be rich. When I think about, you know, what has the church pursued in America? And how is it experienced in the United States? Well, initially in America... The Catholic Church started out as an immigrant and poor church that was discriminated against in many different ways, and yet the church thrived and grew and built and was successful and blessed in the United States, even though it was poor and heavily persecuted at times. Why? Well, We don't want that, right? We want to get rid of that. We want to come into the world. 
And so what did we pursue? Well, something changed in about the 50s, 60s, and 70s, where the church was no longer a minority, someone who was persecuted, but kind of came into our own, came into our riches. And I would say in some ways it was to our detriment, to our woe, because all of a sudden we forgot what blessings of the gospel there are. Jesus finishes the blessings with, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude and insult you and denounce your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy. But yet, what are the very things that we avoid, right? We avoid any exclusion, right? If anything that I can do to make it, you know, we just want to be, uh, avoid that, right? Now, certainly, we don't want to be denounced or hated or excluded because we've done something wrong, right? But if we are pursuing the gospel, if we are praying and we are excluded because we go to Mass on Sunday, if we're excluded because we hold up the teachings of the church, rejoice, leap for joy, blessed are you. But again, I think we often as a church and as individuals have pursued instead the woes. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for their ancestors treated the false prophets in this way. So often as a church, we've tried to just be spoken well of. And certainly, in some ways, we should be spoken well of by the good actions that we do. But it's amazing that even in the good actions that we do, if we do it for Jesus Christ and the gospel, we will be persecuted. Because Satan is real, and persecution happens. But in the United States, I think we're kind of sometimes lulled into this feeling of, well, let's just let everybody speak well of us, right? Let's just try to, try to reduce the gospel to nice words. Jesus doesn't reduce the gospel to just niceties. He reduces it to love which is much greater than that. We in the United States at time have, have pursued in the West, the West kind of Europe, America, Cardinal Sarah in another book, God or Nothing. Uh, cardinal Sarah is a cardinal uh, uh, African from, from South, uh, not South Africa, but in Africa in the Southern region. And he writes in, in this book, God or Nothing. He says, while Christians are dying for their faith and their fidelity to Jesus in the West, men of the church are trying to reduce requirements of the gospel to a minimum. Right? Where they say, oh, the gospel is too difficult. We need to reduce it. But yet, people are dying for it and willing to die for it. And it's often in that persecution and in that martyrdom that the church is thriving. In Africa, there is great persecution against the church, and yet over 9 million adults are enter the church in Africa every year. 9 million. They're thriving because they've held to the gospel message. There are other places that have experienced great persecution. In Pakistan especially, there's a small Catholic population and they've experienced huge persecution in an overwhelmingly uh, extreme Muslim country. In 2011, 
There was a Catholic politician who was martyred March 2nd. So almost eight years ago, right? We're coming up on March 2nd on that anniversary. And his beatification is in the process. He's a servant of God in the, in the process. But I'd like to read what he wrote about his faith being a Catholic politician in an overwhelmingly persecuted place as he was living it out. He says, he wrote, High-ranking positions in government have been offered to me, and I have been asked to put an end to my battle, but I have always refused even at the risk of my own life. My response has always been the same. I do not want popularity. I do not want positions of power. I only want a place at the feet of Jesus. I want my life, my character, my actions to speak of me and say that I am following Jesus Christ. This desire is so strong in me that I consider myself privileged Whenever, in my combative effort to help the needy, the poor, the persecuted Christians in Pakistan, Jesus would wish to accept the sacrifice of my life. I want to live for Christ, and it is for Him that I want to die. See that in opposition to so many Catholic politicians who leave their Catholic faith at the door. So many Catholics who, as we go to polls, as we go to live out our life, as we choose to the different actions that we do, aren't formed by our Catholic life. Something more recently in 2015, we all know about uh, a news story that happened in, in Libya. In 2015, actually February 15th of 2015, so only two days ago, an anniversary of four years, where... ISIS captured 21 Coptic Christians and then beheaded them and videoed it. And we, of course, know that story. And our hearts are hopefully tugged in that way of the persecuted Christians in the Middle East. But we don't always know what happened next. Archbishop Chaput writes in his book, he says, What happened next did not make headlines. On Christian television, the brother of two of the muttered, muttered murdered men thanked ISIS for not editing out the man's last declaration of faith in Christ because it had strengthened his own faith. He then added that the families of those who were killed were congratulating one another. He said, we are proud to have this number of people from our village who have become martyrs. Since the Roman era, Christians have been martyred and have learned to handle everything that comes our way. This only makes us stronger in our faith because the Bible told us to love our enemies and bless those who curse us. When the host asked whether he could forgive Isis, Camille relayed that his mother had said that she would do if she saw one of the men who killed her son. He said, My mother, an uneducated woman in her 60s, said she would ask him to enter her house and ask God to open his eyes because he was the reason her son entered the kingdom of heaven. When the host invited him to pray for his brother's killers, Camille prayed, Dear God, please open their eyes to be saved and quit their ignorance and the wrong teachings they are taught. We certainly don't experience that degree of persecution. We're not afraid of being killed because we're Catholic. But I think we often do live out of fear in many areas of our life. What will people think if I stop and pray? 
What will people think if I talk about my faith, right? People are going to think that I'm weird, right? That fear should not be there. Because we should be able to leap with joy, rejoice when we are persecuted. When we pray for our children, what do we pray for them for? Do we pray that they are filled and rich and people speak well of them? Or do we pray that they are blessed and would make it to heaven, even in their poverty, even in their hunger, even in their persecution? We ourselves are in a crisis today in the church. And many people want to blame it on different teachings of the church. But I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is that that we haven't lived it out. May we ourselves... I don't want you to leave uh, with uh, despair... This is not supposed to be a message of despair. Crisis is always an opportunity of hope. When Jesus Christ was crucified and died, the disciples ran and hide, hid. But yet, in that, from only the 12 disciples, right? And one of them even ran away. And so out of the 11 apostles, the world was changed that 2,000 years later, we're here today to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't take many people to transform the world, but it takes more than riches and security. It takes a conviction, and it takes the gospel message to be lived out. We are in a crisis today, but I hope that you take it as an opportunity to live out and to realize what the gospel is about. Not to pursue the woes that Jesus warns us of, but instead to seek the blessings that he desires to give us in the cross and the grace of Christ.